Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Reid, and I'm a naturopathic doctor. And today I am joined by Dr. Brandon Bright. Uh, Dr. Bright practices on the West Coast of the US of A, and he um, posts a lot of really great content on his um, social media accounts about um, all manner of topics that relate to complex chronic illness, um, mold, SIBO, um, heavy metals, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm uh, just excited to uh, pick his brain, kind of dive into things, see where the conversation takes us, like usual. And um, looking to hear, looking forward to hearing his uh, perspective on a lot of these different topics. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, um, you may notice that you can't see me right now. Um, I'm, uh, and you might be able to tell from my voice, I'm fighting off a bit of a cold. I'm not really camera ready today, so I'm going to uh, spare you looking at uh, my haggard self. I'm actually not that sick, but just yeah, didn't uh, just feel like um, better not to have the camera on today. Um, but uh, I'm sure we'll be able to see Dr. Bright in a short order. So, All right, everyone. So I'm now joined by Dr. Bright. Dr. Bright, thanks so much for speaking with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so just before we jump into our chat, um, would you be able to just give the audience a, a quick background on, you know, who you are, where you practice, and how you got involved uh, working with folks with complex chronic illnesses? Yeah, um, I'm located in Orange County, California. I uh, started off as an athlete myself and got injured a lot, so I spent a lot of time in physical therapy and uh, kind of that recovery aspect of uh, things for the athlete. Got interested in that. Again, uh, my undergrad in kinesiology. Um, started my um, doctorate in physical therapy, and then I also started my doctorate in uh, Eastern medicine, acupuncture, oriental medicine, and herbology at the same time. Uh, and then further from there, got into functional medicine. Um, I was getting kind of worked with a lot of professional Olympic athletes for a good uh, 10 years and was kind of getting bored with uh, fixing ankles and backs and wanted to get deeper into things, uh, into the more chronic stuff. Uh, I thought it more interesting to kind of figure out the some of the more complex riddles that were happening with people. Uh, so I dove into functional medicine, um, and then I also do a lot of different um, forms of applied kinesiology, frequency medicine, muscle testing. Um, I've, I do uh, hypnotherapy as well, uh, neuroemotional technique for, um, you know, the emotional aspect of things, and neurolinguistic programming. Uh, and then I do quantum neurology and biosystems integration, contact reflex analysis, all for kind of uh, muscle testing and diagnosing um, and to see which uh, herbs and stuff would work best with people as well. So it's been a, a fun journey and I like learning, you know, new technique or so uh, each year to add to the tool belt. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you've got about a million and one techniques under in your tool belt. So that's that's great. Uh, I'm I'm a bit of a CE um, addict myself as well. So uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Um, there's so many so much cool stuff out there to learn about. Um, yeah, I was gonna pick your brain about the hypnotherapy because I noticed that um, on your on your I think your Instagram profile, which is um, yeah, just not something that a lot of my guests. I don't know if any of my guests are hypnotherapists. So uh, and then it's great that you do the quantum neurology. I, I'm trying to remember the doc's name. Is it Doctor Gonzalez? What, what's yeah, Doctor George Gonzalez. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I did his uh, modules. I like just just did them online uh, some years ago, and really cool stuff. So that's yeah. that's awesome. Um, yeah. Could you speak a little bit to um, how hypnotherapy has um, played a role in your uh, working with folks with complex chronic illnesses? I'm sure. It's actually one of the first things that got me into um, Eastern medicine and energy medicine and all that. Uh, I was really interested in that starting probably around 16 years old. And I remember 
going to the fair and and uh, to the hypnotist there and they didn't hypnotize me and so I was just kind of I'm like is this BS or um, not so I got some books on it read about it and learned a lot more about it and uh, learned kind of the difference of stage hypnosis and medical hypnosis and how those all kind of integrate uh, hypnosis we all kind of hypnotize ourselves every day whether we realize it or not uh, about 90% of what we do is subconscious uh, five ten percent is conscious if you've ever been driving and just kind of dozed off and then ended up at your destination uh, basically your subconscious took over and, and got you there safely uh, so we kind of that's called like highway hypnosis so there's a lot of different ways that uh, hypnosis affects us uh, subconsciously you see a red light you just automatically stop that's kind of a trigger that uh, uh, anchor that's been set on us for quite a while uh, I'll usually start, um, well, from there, I found one of my mentors, uh, did hypnosis and neurolinguistic programming, and he's also interested in shamanism and we went to Sedona with him and he really showed us a lot of really cool stuff. And that got me even more interested into Eastern medicine. So that's why I dove more into the, um, Eastern medicine and acupuncture meridians from there. So it really kind of started me off on this journey, um, towards kind of where I'm at now. Um, how I integrate that now is I'll actually, do um I might do an NET session with someone, so neuroemotional technique, and kind of get down to what the emotion is, who it's attached to, um, to find the the root of the cause. And then I might do some acupuncture. And then while they're laying there with the needles, I'll do a hypnotherapy session to help them with anything from insomnia, weight loss, stop smoking, um, stress and um anxiety, depression are really popular. Uh, so I just, it helps on a bit deeper level than, uh, NET would and helps you kind of get a little bit more to the root of things. And then I'll add things like anchors. Anchor would be like, uh, like I said, the red light would be an anchor to stop. Pavlov would ring the bell, feed the dog, ring the bell, feed the dog. Eventually the bell became an anchor for food. How people anchor just by touching their index finger and thumb together when they're really relaxed. And that's their kind of the bookmark to get back to that relaxed state. You see a lot of the monks kind of do that when they meditate. Uh, and then they can just do that again to get back to that deep state without having to meditate for so long to get there again. Um, so I'll use anchors all the time for people for relaxation, um, for, you know, if they have anxiety, if they have test anxiety. Um, I'll do it with athletes. I work with a lot of fighters. They'll, you know, hit their fists together and that kind of gets them in their that matrix zone to slow time down for them to uh, react faster. Um, maybe you're a golfer just holding the golf club or a bat. Um, depending on your sport, I would anchor some of these things uh, for them to help them get into the zone basically before they, um, stepped up to the plate or, you know, to the golf club. So, uh, yeah, I use it all the time for all kinds of things. I find it very, um, very useful. A lot of times people have never really been to that relaxed state. And so, uh, they're instilled a little bit of a trance kind of when they, they come back, it's that kind of a twilight. It's kind of like when you're falling asleep, but you're not quite there yet. And, you know, someone can ask you something, you'll just answer without really thinking about it. It's kind of that trans state that we look for. Um, but yeah, it has a lot of great um, medical uses, uh, beneficial, be, they'll use it for boosting your immune system. Uh, if you have cancer or something like that, uh, using it to cope and deal with, you know, um, different things in your life, whether it was your uh, upbringing through your parents, uh, I'll have them go back and do a forgiveness process or help them build like kind of the the perfect mother or father in their mind and have a better understanding of, you know, what happened to them. Um, 
That's that's a lot to unpack there, um, Dr. Bright. Um, that's that's awesome. Um, and yeah, delving into the the realms of the uh, the subconscious mind, and it's yes, yeah, such a powerful tool, um, to say the least. Um, I have, I have a few uh, follow up questions for you on that. Uh, I mean, the one is just kind of like I don't know. Uh, just a uh, I'm just curious. Like the uh, I think you said getting into the matrix zone. Is that uh, like a real term, or is that just a throwback to the movie? Um, a little bit. I mean, people will call it, but like, um, you know, when things slow down for them. So that happens to the athletes, they call it like getting in the zone basically. Yep. Uh, and they just kind of get to that super hyper, um, hyper focus state. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Richard Bandler. He's the one that created NLP and and he would call it the matrix state too, and the, or the zone. Uh, and it's interesting to hear he was really good at, um, modeling people. And so he would ask, you know, a golfer, when they look down, look up, he's like, stop. He's like, why do you do that? What are you, what are you looking down, looking up? And of course the first people, like, I don't know, I don't know. And um, the third or fourth guy is like, well, every time I look up, the hole gets closer. And then I look down, look up, the hole gets closer. And he's like, okay. And then he would model that, have someone else do that. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, jet fighter pilots, he's like, how do you slow down time? Um, because you're going so fast. So you have to be able to slow things down somehow. So it's interesting to see how people would get into the zone and in, and what they would perceive or do to help them with, uh, you know, whatever they're doing, whether it's racing a car or he would take that same thing to um, a person playing baseball and have them slow it down so they could see the ball better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, kind of getting to that matrix zone where things slow down, and you can react a lot faster. Um, but, yeah, I think people just relate more to the matrix, I guess, than kind of getting in the zone that some people that haven't done that before might not understand kind of what that is like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and say, you know, as this applies to someone who's, you know, say, you know, maybe they have a label like chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia, let's say they have, you know, um, mold toxicity as part of that picture, uh, maybe, you know, chronic infections with say Borreliosis or Bartonella, Epstein-Barr virus, like let's say a patient who's just kind of a, a hot mess of symptoms. Um, as far as say hypnotherapy and maybe combining that with um, NLP and NET and all these wonderful acronyms um, that are out there, uh, QN for quantum neurology, et cetera. Um, would you, um, and actually, sorry, maybe I'm getting, uh, getting a little bit ahead of myself there. Say just around like the hypnotherapy side of things or more of like the mental emotional work, would you be largely doing that to kind of just generally support their, um, again, like a patient with complex chronic illness, like, would you be doing this largely to support their parasympathetic nervous system, kind of settle down their amygdala, if there's some amygdala dysfunction, like, is it kind of a general, like, let's calm their system so they can heal more easily? Or would the application be more in like getting to those deeper underlying, uh, factors like, you know, there was a history of trauma or there was, you know, some negative learned behaviors from parents or abuse or whatnot, like how, what would, um, how would the hypnotherapy and related uh, interventions be like the most directly applicable to folks with complex chronic illness? Yeah. So some of the, um, frequency medicine, muscle testing stuff I do, I'll ask the body. It's kind of like an onion. I, I'll ask, um, is it something, what do they want to deal with first? Is it structure? Is it emotional? Is it nutritional? Is it electrical? Um, is it organ related? And depending on kind of what comes up is what kind of I'll, I'll work towards. I'll use a, a technique for that thing. Uh, so if it goes to emotional, um, there's usually an emotional component to almost, you know, everything that happens to us. Uh, and I'll use NAT to kind of narrow it down. And then I'll use kind of the hypnotherapy to work on it on a deeper level, um, depending if that's something that they need. Something more for, yes, yeah, these chronic issues and conditions. Um, I mean, the first and foremost is going to be eliminating the pathogens or um, whatever's really causing it, but there's definitely going to be an emotional aspect to that too, that um, 
they're getting, you know, so maybe they have a, a three, four kids and they have chronic fatigue and they're struggling trying to keep up with them. And there's an emotional aspect that they have to deal with that too. Um, so yeah, I will use um, these to help them cope better, to relax better, to sleep better, um, to, uh, you know, maybe not use eating as a, an emotional um, outlet. So yeah, I'll have them kind of help deal with some of these things that are a little bit harder for them to deal with um, while also supporting them nutritionally and functionally. Um, as far as some of the parasympathetic stuff, uh, quantum neurology is really great with using um, all the cranial nerves and resetting the cranial nerves. Uh, so I'll, I'll do that quite often for people too. Uh, a lot of those are going to be off for people, especially with a chronic disease, chronic fatigue, um, fibromyalgia, all these things are going to be affecting the mitochondria and the nervous system. Uh, so yeah, I'll usually go through all the, the cranial nerves and then work with them and see what emotions pop up too. Great. Um, and, uh, actually just, if you don't mind speaking for a minute about quantum neurology, it just, it's, it's, uh, relatively rare that I encounter another clinician who's done the training. It's such a cool system and, um, yeah, just some really amazing yeah. things can be achieved with that. So would you mind just giving listeners a quick, um, overview of like, what is quantum neurology? And then maybe just share like a couple of, um, anecdotes from your practice using quantum neurology where you've seen benefit. Sure. Um, quantum neurology started with George, uh, Dr. George Gonzalez when he was actually in chiropractic school, his, uh, wife was in a really bad car accident, had a really bad spinal injury. And he just happened to, he said it, it all came to him in a dream basically of how everything worked. And, uh, and then it took him a couple of years past that to kind of create the system and systematically go about it and figure out why it worked. But uh, he uses uh, infrared light at flashing at different frequencies so that it continues to stimulate the nervous system. If it's on continuously, I uh, wouldn't have the same um, stimulatory reaction for the, the nervous system. So we can do, um, I, I have a ALS patient I do this with all the time because his muscles go weak from the nervous system. And so I could test his bicep. And if that's weak, that's going to be C6. And then I would put the light on C6 and then have him pull against my arm and take a deep breath. And that resets the nervous system. And then his muscle will go strong. Uh, same with, I can test the arm for strength and then I'll test all the cranial nerves, um, the sense of smell following the fingers up, down, left, right, or, um, uh, close and far. And then you can see where the arm will go weak. And that means that you're challenging the body on multiple different levels on a, a neurological, uh, system. And so if the, you're, you can normally go to the doctor and they'll test your eyes and stuff like that, but it's you're stacking things for the nervous system to challenge it more to see where it goes weak. And so then when, uh, if I'm testing them and the, the sense of smell goes weak, then I know that cranial nerve is off. Then I put the light on the back of the brainstem, light up the brainstem and stimulate those nerves while having them smell, continue to smell the essential oil and testing their muscle. And I go until the muscle goes strong. And that means the nerve has been turned back on. So it's a really cool system to get things turned on really quickly. Whereas Western doesn't believe that that's possible to be able to turn that nervous system on that quickly. Uh, so it is a really cool system you can do with the myotomes, which is the muscle strength, the dermatomes, which is the sense of feeling and touch. If you do have a, a neuropathy or something like that, you can get the sense of touch back. Um, the cranial nerves for headaches or um, any kind of, you know, uh, if they have vision problems, if they have a lazy eye, uh, hearing issues, all these are going to have to do with cranial nerves. Uh, I've had people with Bell's palsy and stuff like that too, for the cranial nerves while helping with smile and moving the facial muscles. Uh, so it's a really, really cool system that, uh, really works quickly and fast. Uh, and it's fairly 
easy to do. Um, they do get, you know, deeper and deeper with some of these uh, stacking techniques of using, um, you could use different kinds of uh, tuning forks and stuff for different sound waves that could go, make you go weak, uh, different colored glasses and stuff to see what colors might make you go weak. Uh, and then for athletes, you can do it for like a pitcher. You would have, you would test the muscle and have them go through the whole range of motion with like pitching. And you could see where they go weak to see where their nervous system's turning off during that range of motion and help kind of correct and strengthen that range of motion all the way through the range of motion. Uh, and it helps them be a better athlete. It's such so, a, yeah. just a, such a fun system. It's like, you know, it's like you're only limited by your imagination and to some extent in terms of like what you can, uh, work with with different stimuli and positions and things like that. Yeah. It's really interesting things that you think you're, you know, you're strong with, and then you start stacking these neurological things and then you can see kind of where your body breaks down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, Dr. Bright, if you wouldn't mind, uh, maybe speaking a little bit to, um, I just was on your social media account recently. I've, I've been following you for a little bit and, um, I saw you had some posts about small intestine bacterial overgrowth, um, um, also known as, um, SIBO or SIBO for listeners. Um, yeah. and I was wondering if you could speak to, uh, well, maybe just kind of share your thoughts on that topic in general, in terms of, uh, you know, where, uh, how often you find it to be a problem for folks and, uh, what are some of the interventions that seem to help the most, um, with that condition? Uh, yeah, I get people with SIBO every week, um, quite a few of them, and it's it's really common um, for some reason, quite uh, underdiagnosed. Uh, it's pretty easy when people are getting gas or bloating after they're eating anything. Um, that's a pretty tall tale sign that they're SIBO. Uh, how you get it most likely is either you have low stomach acid uh, and you get acid reflux, and then people will take antacids, and so it lowers the stomach acid even more. Now you're not breaking down the food. You're not killing the bacteria that's in the food. And now that bacteria is getting into the small intestine and, and staying there and then causing fermentation in the wrong area of the gut. And that's where that gas and bloating is going to come from. And it's not um, the hard part for people is you're like, I'm eating really healthy. I'm eating good. And oftentimes those are the foods that are actually causing it the most. That anything with prebiotic fiber that's feeding the probiotic in there is going to be causing that bloating and that gas in the wrong area of the gut. Uh, we want the probiotics in the large intestine rather than the small intestine. Uh, so it doesn't cause that issue. And so when I have people with a SIBO and a lot of things can cause that Hashi, like um, thyroid issues often come along with SIBO, um, Hashimoto's and all that is really common. Um, and we'll start seeing kind of the slowing down of the, uh, the microbiota in the gut and the, and the digestion in general. Uh, with SIBO, I'll have people go on a low FODMAP diet, which basically means low fermentable foods. Uh, so there's a food list I'll have people follow for about a month, uh, and that'll eliminate the foods that cause or that feed that um, that bacteria that causes the gas and the bloating. And then along with that, I'll do like an antimicrobial. Um, it could be anything from biocidin and olivirex, or I might use golden thread, um, mirinda, malia, uh, some of these antimicrobials that'll kind of go out and wipe out uh, the bad bacteria, but mostly leaves the good bacteria intact. And then I'll do that for about 30 days and then the gas and bloating should be gone. And then I'll start rebuilding the gut back up uh, for a couple of months uh, with some prebiotics and probiotics to help heal and repair the gut and put the probiotics in the, the right area of the gut. Uh, so SIBO uh, is really common, fairly easy to uh, get rid of. Uh, you can do a SIBO, how you test for SIBO uh, would be a breath test. So you blow into a bag and then they test for methane and hydrogen in the bag to see if you have SIBO. Um, for the most part, I could diagnose it just from the, the signs and symptoms. Um, and I'll have people, 
I'll give them the option. We can test for it and you can confirm it, or you can use that money just to use, get the supplements and eliminate it. Uh, so more times than not, people just do the supplements rather than testing and proving it to themselves. And then they feel better within a couple of days. So they're already kind of convinced that that was the issue. Uh, and about yeah, a month in, they're feeling a lot better, not having that gas and bloating anymore. Um, I have a couple of follow-up questions for you on that, um, but uh, yes. just a uh, reminded me that uh, I need to say my little disclaimer that I say in every episode, uh, just that nothing that we're uh, saying today should be construed as medical advice. This is all for informational purposes only. If you need medical advice, please talk to your healthcare provider to get that advice. Um, so just around the gut healing side of things, you mentioned about prebiotics and probiotics, uh, which is great. Um, do you utilize uh, or do you recommend for your patients um, things like um, you know glutamine, butyric acid, um, demulcent herbs? Like, Do you recommend those types of things as well or do you find the pre and probiotics tend to do the trick so a probiotic i really like is called prime gut health it uses spore-based probiotics immunoglobulins and it has butyrate in there oh nice uh so uh i like that one and i i don't i start it after kind of cleansing the gut i don't do any of the prebiotics before that because again you don't want to be feeding that um the, the bacteria in your small intestine so i usually wait till it's all kind of cleared out before starting the prebiotic mm -hmm. prebiotic i like is um igg protect is a uh, colostrum Mm -hmm. uh, from orthomolecular. Uh, orth yeah. I find that's a really good prebiotic and it doesn't seem to cause any um, gut dysfunction. Even people that have lactose issues, they seem to be fine with the colostrum, even though it's, um, you know, comes from uh, cow. Yeah. The uh, immunoglobulins also help in there to help heal the um, gut, bind to toxins and boost the immune system. Uh, so I'll usually use those two uh, and I'll take the probiotic at night and the prebiotic in the morning. So they're kind of laying down the seeds and then spreading the food in the morning. Uh, and people seem to do really well on that. Uh, sometimes I will use not so much for SIBO, um, glutamine. I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I just don't like loading people up on too many supplements at one time. So I try to, uh, limit that as much as possible. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's GI resolve and some of those that, uh, have a mix of glutamine and aloe vera and, um, uh, licorice root and all that in it are definitely great for the gut. I'll use that more for like a gut inflammation or um, like maybe Crohn's or diverticulitis or some of those I'll use a little bit more uh, rather than SIBO. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the pre and probiotic I find are usually good enough to heal the gut after. Great. Yeah, I've kind of found similarly, like it's not, you know, kind of a quote unquote mandatory thing to get the, you know, butyrate and glutamine and things like that in there necessarily, but it's nice when you can have those combo products that kind of have a bit of, a bit of everything in there. Um, could, would you mind just, uh, saying the name of that product and the brand again? Cause I know folks will message yeah. me saying, wait, what did he say? So would you mind just sharing that again, please? Yeah. That one's a uh, prime gut health from health mm -hmm. Uh, they have a lot of really cool products there. Another one they have is a BPC in PEA. Uh, BPC is going to be stands for body protective peptide. Uh, comes naturally from our gastric juices, but it he helps heal and repair. Uh, and the PEA is going to be also for inflammation. So sometimes I'll throw that in there if there's like a inflammatory bowel disease or anything like that. Um, actually, their prime gut health is a, my favorite probiotic. Second one would be um, orthospore is going to be also a spore-based probiotic with immunoglobulins from orthomolecular. Mm -hmm. um, it just doesn't have the butyrate in there like the prime gut health does. Okay. Have you um, sort of been able to contrast how that might stack up with like, say, Megaspore Biotic, which I think is kind of like the was like the the first one, I guess, maybe or the first big yeah. one, like, well-marketed one on yeah, the A scene. lot of people use Megaspore. So I, Megaspore is great, too. I like that one. 
Um, Orthospore is has the spore-based probiotics in there as well, just with additional aminoglobulins in there. And then Prime Gut Health has the uh, spore-based probiotics, the immunoglobulins, and the butyrate. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's kind of why I like that one the most. Great. Um, so just um, maybe a couple more questions on the SIBO topic, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. So with the um, kind of one of the stereotypes that's out there, um, like, you know, folks listening might be hearing like, I don't know, Dr. Bright, like, you know, I've read about SIBO, heard enough for like experts out there saying like SIBO comes back all the time. Like, you know, a lot of folks, like I've heard, you know, common estimates from some experts out there, like SIBO recurs, like, you know, five times on average. And, you know, in all fairness, um, that's, I think generally if it's like just a rifaximin only approach that's being used, I think that's usually what those stats are based on. Um, I mean, like you, um, I've seen, um, you know, very nice, efficient SIBO uh, resolution in many cases over time. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with, you know, taking a more, um, uh, comprehensive approach, you know, not just like, you know, pigeonholing and like, oh yeah, just antimicrobial and, and that's it. Um, but uh, would you be able to speak a little bit to why you think that, um, or yeah, why you're, um, you find that, uh, you're not really seeing the SIBO relapses, why, you know, after within 30 days or after 30 days, like, you know, it's working really well. Um, how would you, uh, uh, explain that when, you know, the stereotype out there is that SIBO just keeps coming back. It's really hard to treat that type of thing. Yeah. The reason is because when they use antibiotics, uh, the body can build up a biofilm and it's like the inside of a dog bowl gets kind of slimy. Uh, that's basically a biofilm. The biofilm uh, makes itself about a thousand times more resistant to antibiotics. So if you're just taking an antibiotic to get rid of the bacteria, the SIBO, um, and if something keeps coming back, whether it's strep, um, you know, yeast infections, uh, any of these things that I'll see, it's usually a biofilm issue that's protecting it. So you could take it and it'll kind of clear it a little bit, but then it's still in the biofilm. So the herbs actually dissolve the biofilm and that's why it gets rid of it um, better than an antibiotic would. Uh, herbs work really well for dissolving biofilms. A lot of the oils um, like biocidin that uses the oil-based stuff that dissolves the biofilm really well. Uh, systemic enzymes uh, also will dissolve biofilms. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to kind of get rid of the biofilm, which is going to be a good issue if things kind of keep reoccurring. Um, but yeah, if you go to your normal MD, they'll give you antibiotic and it's it'll kind of bomb everything in there, even the, the probiotics. Uh, that's why I like herbs too, is they're not going to be affecting the probiotics as much as they are the, um, the bad bacteria. So if it keeps reoccurring, um, that's going to be the issue. And the other way that we get SIBO is either low stomach acid or antibiotics will actually cause SIBO. Uh, so uh, people with um, had an antibiotic and then the SIBO came shortly after that because you're not um, repopulating the gut with the good bacteria. So, uh, yeah, there's, if you don't repopulate the gut, if you use an antibiotic and you have, um, biofilm, it's not going to solve the issue. And if you, uh, also, because you have low stomach acid and you don't fix the stomach acid issue, um, again, it's going to continue to get, uh, SIBO. If you're still taking antacids, uh, it's going to keep coming back. So when you actually have, uh, acid reflux, it's most likely due to low stomach acid, not high stomach acid, even though it sounds kind of counterintuitive. Uh, so getting... Um, I'll use like a digestive enzyme with uh, hydrochloric acid in it. My favorite one is gastrodigest from Revita. It has hydrochloric acid, it has the digestive enzymes, and it has bile salts in there. Everything to help you kind of break down the food, break down the bacteria, kill parasites. Um, so if people are still having uh, low stomach acid and acid reflux, I'll have them take that. And that will also prevent uh, SIBO from reoccurring. Great. Um... And uh, just my last uh, SIBO-related question, at least uh, for now, I can't make any promises. I might have another one, but um, so uh, 
majority of cases, you know, getting better, you know, nice and efficiently uh, with this type of protocol. Um, could you speak to um, just some of the cases that you may have seen where, you know, it's like they've say done the you know, lactulose breath test for SIBO, comes back positive, put them on a treatment protocol and, you know, say there's some retesting, all the SIBO is gone, but like their symptoms still aren't gone. Like maybe they've improved 50%, but they've hit a plateau or, or maybe a case where like they didn't really improve a whole lot. Um, I guess the subtext of the question is like, if um, it seems like SIBO, you know, based on symptoms or based on test results and, you know, you're, that's treated, but like it doesn't resolve the symptoms. Like what are the next most likely culprits for why those um, symptoms might be persisting for someone if it turns out that it wasn't SIBO or SIBO wasn't the full meal deal with their, you know, say digestive symptoms? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things that could be affecting the digestion. Um, like I said, the stomach acid, uh, another could be yeast, uh, could be parasites. Uh, parasites are super common and they will cause a lot of weird digestive stuff along with um, sleep issues, uh, you know, grinding your teeth, anxiety. Uh, they affect us in a lot of different ways, but uh, some of them will cause more constipation and bloating. Some will cause more diarrhea and kind of stomach pain. Um, the yeast too will also cause a lot of these sim similar issues. Uh, we'll see some other signs that might have to do with that. You might see some more skin stuff, uh, eczema, psoriasis, rashes, things like that. Um, I'll typically see, but yeah, I'll test them for, um, and I'll do muscle testing stuff just to narrow it down, um, what their priority is. A lot of times, uh, priority is going to be parasites. Parasites will consume yeast. It consumes um, you know, lime, uh, Epstein bar, uh, heavy metals. And so I'll test people if they're high in heavy metals or some of these things, but they're also have parasites. You have to get rid of the parasites first or else you're just playing tug of war. Uh, so parasites are another major one that I see that can cause a lot of these digestive issues. Um, and I think on your, from your social media account, I think, um, you're a fan of the microbe labs. Uh, uh yeah, microbes, cell core. Um, and Supreme Nutrition are the top ones that I'll probably use for the um, parasites. Right. And um, is that like a mimosa combined with anti-parasitic herbs kind of approach or what? Uh, what's the gist of the approach that you work with? Um, yeah, again, I like mostly we'll do muscle testing to see which herbs. So Supreme probably has, I think, like eight different ones that are for uh, good for parasites. Uh, Cellcore will have pair one, two, three, and four, along with different binders. Uh, so depending on the type of parasite, uh, like Cellcore will come with a, its own testing kit. And so I can test what kind of parasites in there, what kind of yeast, mold, fungus. Um, and each of the ones kind of specialize in certain uh, parasites. Pair one is mimosa. Um, mimosa is a great one. It kind of becomes a thick gelatinous ball in there and will stick to stuff in the gut and pull it out. Uh, whereas, if, and it depends how old they are too. For kids, they'll typically just use a, a black walnut tincture. Uh, mm -hmm. Then they can just use a couple drops, uh, usually one drop per 10 pounds is what I use uh, for kids. So it depends on their age as well. Uh, it depends on what else they're dealing with. If they're getting a lot of skin stuff, psoriasis, eczema. Um, I like malia. It also breaks down histamine in the body. Uh, so it just depends, I guess, on the type of parasite they're experiencing and the other symptoms that they're also getting, because some of them will stack well together. A lot of parasites will, um, consume the iron in your body, making you more anemic. Uh, so pair four, I like to help um, if they also have mold or yeast in their body, para four also goes after mold and yeast. It also builds the blood. Um, so if they're also consuming that, uh, Artemisia is a really good one. Artemisia kind of will poison the, uh, parasites via the iron in your body. 
it does similar way to uh, cancer as well, called ferropoptosis. Uh, so just depending on what else they have going on, rather than just parasites, I'll use the different herbs for that. Great. But yeah, um, it's kind of hard to get people. What's the best parasite um, herb? And it's hard to say just from that. I'll need a little bit more information to know what else is going on. I like using herbs that can um, do multiple things if they can, instead of taking so many different things. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's a, uh always a bit of a, a heartbreaker when patients come in and they've got like a literal laundry basket full of supplements. It's like, okay, we need to, yeah. we need to get a little more targeted here because nobody should, yeah. well, maybe there's exceptions, but virtually nobody should need to be on that many supplements all at once. Yeah. I get that all the time. People, I mean, maybe they've been following me and other people on Instagram and they buy everything that everyone says and, yeah. and they're confused and they forget why they're using certain things. And yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Like it's um, when you're feeling unwell and especially if you don't have like a healthcare provider that you're working with, maybe to give the right kind of guidance or maybe you do, but you can't afford to go in for their services as regularly or something. It's yeah, kind of, I'm sure it's, it's gotta be tempting to, yeah. Um, just try things and like, okay, maybe this is going to work. Maybe this is going to work, but yeah, it's uh, oftentimes yeah. not the most efficient path, but I think I get, get why folks do it. Um, yeah. Um, so just a kind of a miscellaneous, a uh, little more of a rapid fire question here, if you don't mind, uh, Dr. Bright. Um, so um, could you uh, share with us, um, say, um, what uh, the top, you know, one or two or three um, favorite uh, functional lab tests are that you would recommend for folks? Um, like just in general? Yeah, just like, I guess some of like the most common ones that you'd prescribe or like recommend in practice, like it doesn't, of course, it's going to be, well, what's their, what are their symptoms, this and that, but I, I'm yeah. mostly just wondering if you wouldn't mind highlighting like, um, you know, one or two or three of the lab tests that you're like, you know, kind of deserted island, like, you know, you've only got like a few that you could take with you, uh, what would be near the, you know, kind of near the top of your list, uh, some of your favorite tests? Uh, one of the favorite ones is the Nutri-Eval. Um, it's a really good big picture test. Uh I will have people do that. It'll show um, environmental toxins. It'll show heavy metals. It'll show uh, how well your mitochondria work uh, through your citric acid cycle. It'll show how well you process carbs, fat, protein. It'll show all your nutrient values and your deficiencies. So all your vitamins, minerals. Uh, it'll show your digestive enzymes, your probiotics, your all of your amino acids from protein, uh, your omega-3, 6, and 9. Um, it'll show what else on there? Uh, it'll show certain dysbiosis markers in your gut, uh, yeast, fungal, candidia, stuff like that. Uh, it shows all your neurotransmitters. So those feel good chemicals in your brain, the serotonin, dopamine. Um, so it's a really good big picture test that I like to do. Uh, and then that'll kind of from there, if it shows some gut dysbiosis stuff, uh, then I might jump into the GI map to look a little bit deeper in there, which is going to be uh, a stool sample that goes through all of your basically all the bacteria, fungal, uh, viruses, parasites, uh, kind of a whole gut map uh, to see what's going on. It'll test your zonulin, which is going to be your leaky gut marker, your calprotectin for inflammation in your gut. Um, so Nutri-Eval and then the GI map. Uh, and another one I've been doing a lot is going to be a more of a mycotoxin test uh, for mold, beginning a lot of people with mold lately. Uh, and the Nutri-Eval does with the heavy metals and environmental toxins, but it doesn't necessarily have like a mold, uh, good mold component on there. Uh, so might do mycotoxin tests if you're, if they're experiencing some of these, um, you know, other mold symptoms. Parasites are a little bit hard to catch uh, in general on a stool test. They don't always come out in your stool. They kind of latch into your gut. 
they might not be in that small sample that you took your stool. So uh, even though the stool tests say maybe it didn't detect any parasites, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have any, um, just that they were not detected in that little sample that you took. Um, but other than that, in general, everything else on that uh, GI map is usually um, really dead on. And that's one thing I, I see a lot of people with gut issues and they go to a GI doctor and right away they just want to scope them, even though 99% of the time it's going to be a pathogen, you can't see it on a scope. And then when they test, they have to individually ask, I want to look for E. coli, I want to look for C. diff, um, you know, staph, strep, any of these things. They have to mark it, but we just do the GI map. It looks for a few hundred different things on there. Uh, just kind of maps everything out and gives you a whole uh, thing of the gut. So probably the NutriValve, the GI map, and uh, the mycotoxin test are some of the ones I've been using the most. And then the other one would be a Dutch test too for the hormones. Mm-hmm. So I'll get a lot of people with maybe PCOS or dealing with hormone things and I'll do a Dutch test, which is going to be a uh, little test five times throughout the day. And so you can get a whole rhythm of your, uh, your cortisol and cortisone. Um, you can look at all the different types of estrogen uh, and your androgens and kind of see methylation, see how everything works on there. Um, it's probably the the gold standard for uh, hormone testing. Yeah, it's such a cool test and like just some of the things they test that you just can't get or to my knowledge can't get done through any other lab, at least not all in one place. So it's quite Yeah, and a lot of doctors will just do the blood test for the hormones and you know, that's okay if you're just adding it on there for while doing a normal blood test, but you don't know is because everything fluctuates. Sometimes uh certain ones are high at, at certain points of the day and they're low at other points, and you don't know you did you take this at the low point or the high point. Uh, so it's really hard to tell just from like a blood test, just more of a snapshot of that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so doing something like either a salivary test or the urine Dutch test uh, is definitely, uh, you know, a lot more accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, just on the topic of the Dutch test, I wasn't uh, planning to ask you about hormones, but you brought it up. So it's a great, great segue. Um, so because we do a fair bit of Dutch testing in our at our clinic as well. And um, if say there's patients who have just like frankly low, and this could be from, you know, based on blood test results as well, but if say they have, you know, frankly low estrogen or frankly low progesterone, frankly low testosterone, um, you know, if, if I, in my experience, at least and to my knowledge, like in the kind of, uh, integrative functional medicine world, there are some great tools that we can work with to help balance hormones that are kind of like out of whack, uh, or if they're not metabolizing well, like, you know, if they're going down to more toxic, say estrogen metabolites, like there's some great tools that we have that can push those pathways in the right direction. But, um, in terms of like frank deficient uh, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Um, are there non-pharmaceutical um, interventions that you've seen to be, um, you know, sort of notably helpful in actually boosting up those levels of hormones that are actually frankly low? Yeah. So, I mean, it's t- typically what I see, it's not really your body is not producing enough. It's the conversion issue and the conversion happens in the liver. So often I'll test the liver and see how the liver is doing. Uh, if you can support the liver and the conversion and metabolism of stuff, then oftentimes things will get better. Uh, toxins and stuff, heavy metals and mold and all that can also be affecting the hormones uh, in a negative way. Uh, so going after any possible pathogens and toxins that could be uh, kind of suppressing the hormones. Uh, there's a lot of ones. So, so the Dutch test, if you know they're really high in um, E3, then things like DIM and artichoke, rosemary, chastri, shatavari, um, all will help kind of detox that toxic estrogen back to the normal, healthier estrogen. Um, for progesterone, there's progesterone creams uh, that you can use. You just put it on like your wrist and, you know, armpits and 
usually at night uh, when you sleep on days 14 to 28 of your cycle uh, to help kind of boost that that progesterone again. Uh, depending, you can, that's why I like the Dutch test. So I can see if, if their DHEA is low and then we could supplement with DHEA and it'll give them a lot of energy. Um, if their progesterone is low, you can give them progesterone um, on the right parts of their cycle and that'll really make a big difference. Uh, but yeah, usually we'll work with conversions with the liver first, uh, and see if there's any toxins that they need to detox. And then from there, I'll start building them up with, um, you know, the DHA progesterone or, um, pregnant alone or any of that that they need. Okay. And, um, and say like if there's low testosterone, like have you found like natural remedies, like say maca or epimedium or tribulus or things like, have those been helpful to actually boost up Frank testosterone deficiency? Yeah, or... Maka, Mukana, um, uh, Lurong, Shadavari, those will all kind of help a little bit with, uh, boosting testosterone. Uh, also red light therapy. Uh, there's Ben Greenfield that did red light on his testicles and found it increased, uh, like two or 300% in his testosterone. Uh, so there's definitely some, things that fringe things that you could try for the testosterone working out is probably gonna be the number one, uh, lifting those heavy metal, um, bigger muscles like squats and, and leg stuff is definitely going to, uh, help support, uh, your hormones and your testosterone, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely working out is going to be a big thing and red light, uh, and what else to do for testosterone. Um, those are probably the biggest things, uh, like non-pharmaceutical wise that I would do, um, exercise and, and some of the herbs to try, uh, but I find detoxing or one of these things are going to be the things that are really hindering the the hormones the most might check thyroid and stuff too, to make sure that's doing well. And, um, the pituitary, um, as well. So sometimes you can, uh, supplement with pituitary glandulars and adrenals is the other thing I would check to the, it's kind of your backup system for your hormones. So, uh, a lot of times as we get into menopause and things like that, it's going to be adrenal fatigue and supporting the adrenals really help kind of support the the whole uh hormone system as well great um so just uh, switching gears again here dr wright if you don't mind um just around the topic of um lyme and co-infections um is that something that you uh, work with in your practice as well and if so what are some of the tools that would be the most helpful in your experience for folks dealing with those types of infections yeah, Lyme is a, it's definitely a big one. It's a hard one to diagnose because it comes in, it just amplifies everything that you already have. Uh, for Lyme, typically I go after parasites first uh, because again, the parasites will hold onto the Lyme and consume the Lyme. So I'll usually uh, clear the parasites out and then I can go after the Lyme a little bit more. Um, depending if they have Borrelia, Bartonella, you use some different herbs. Uh, I really like uh, Supreme Nutrition's line for that. Um, Japanese knotweed is a really good one. Vital Guard, uh, I'll use, uh, you can use Olive Leaf, um, Cat's Claw is another really good one. Uh, which other ones? Uh, and then for like a more uh, serious one, like I have a patient with ALS and that's typically caused from a, a Lyme infection. Um, I have them doing Ibu right now. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I've heard of it, but I haven't used it. No. So Ibu is, I heard of 10 pass ozone. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like a similar to 10 pass ozone, but some of the problems with the 10 pass ozone before, and some of the doctors were kind of biohacking that with uh, adding a dialysis component to it. Mm-hmm. So when they would do the 10 pass ozone, it takes your blood out, puts ozone into it, and that kills all the pathogens and then they put it back into your body. But sometimes people will get a bit of a Herx reaction from that. 
just because it's going back into the body. So Ibu added a filter to it. So now they're killing um, all the pathogens and now it's getting filtered out all of the pathogens. And it's all also has a UV component to it Great. where it's uh, lighting up the blood. So uh, I'll have people like to have my Lyme guy going through that right now. Um, because, you know, once you get to that, uh, or his ALS. So once you get to that point, you really have to take a, a little bit stronger, um, thing towards the Lyme. So the Ibu is probably the strongest one we have in the States. Um, outside of that, the other one would be like a hyperthermia, um, which they have a lot in Austria and Switzerland and Germany, and they might have one in Mexico now, um, where they basically heat up your body to kill up all the pathogens. But yeah. um, for the most part, a lot of people do well with uh, the herbs. But again, you have to kind of clear out the the parasites first. It amplifies everything that you have. Um, some of the people with the worst long COVID um, end up having Lyme and parasites. Uh, so clearing out the parasites and the Lyme really helped them get over their um, long haul COVID stuff. Hmm. Yeah, thankfully for most people, it doesn't come to uh, you know needing you know ibu and uh, hyperthermia and ten pass and all that. But uh, yeah, they're, they're powerful tools, um, to say the least. Yeah, and and just uh, for your reference, I, I have some patients who have gone down to Mexico and they've had hyperthermia down there. So there okay. are uh, at least at least one or two clinics down there, I think, that uh, are offering it, uh, just yeah. for reference. But um, so as far as um, Lyme goes and and some of the co-infections like um, Babesia and Bartonella and whatnot, um, to my understanding, they you know, not only can the critters themselves, you know, induce uh, damage in the body, but they can also trigger um, immune system uh, dysregulation as well, kind of pushing the body into more of a TH2 dominance, kind of getting into a more pro-inflammatory mode. Um, in your experience, um, be, you know, beyond say the really extreme like case, like the, the ALS patient, for example, who needs, you know, really heroic interventions, um, in your experience are the antimicrobial herbs like of course coupled with other things you're working with i'm sure like diet and lifestyle and you know it's uh, uh obviously taking a comprehensive approach but have you found that immunomodulators or things to help to kind of rehabilitate the immune system have been important for um any of your patients with chronic infections uh yeah definitely i mean uh parasites and yeast are the ones that will really put you into a th2 dominance uh so clearing out the parasites uh will you know allow your body to balance that th1 th2 uh, and same thing, I believe why hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin was really helping people with COVID is because they had parasites and they were TH2 dominant. And when they were able to clear those out, the body was able to re-regulate and help protect them against the viruses and the pathogens. Um, so clearing out those, um, infections using herbs will really help the TH1, TH2 balance. Um, other things more advanced, there's some peptides that are work really well, like the myosin alpha, um, really helps kind of boost that, um, boost your T cells and, and balance out the TH1, TH2, uh, immune. So, uh, I've been having people do some of the thymycin alpha too, that, um, needed a little bit more of a boost for that, uh, immune modulation. Great. Yeah. Peptides are so cool. I'm, I'm up in Canada here and, uh, unfortunately in Canada, it's really, really hard for folks to get, uh, peptides. There's a really strict rules around, uh, basically forbidding healthcare practitioners to prescribe them. Um, so it's yeah, really limited, but, from what I hear from my uh, my U.S. colleagues and from other places, they're yeah really really cool. So yeah, they're they're really powerful. I I, I use them for a lot of different things. Um, injection ones for pain and inflammation, like BPC mm -hmm. and TB five hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, the immune one, TB thymycin uh, alpha, long uh, health jevity, uh, where you get the prime gut health. They have a new one coming out in a week. Um, that it's going to be an oral version for the thymycin alpha and th uh, thymycin data. Mm -hmm. uh, to help with the immune system. So that one will be really cool. 
Uh, and then I have some for mitochondria and stuff that I use a lot too, like the SS31 and MOTC, Humanin. Uh, for people that have chronic fatigue, it's been really helping them a lot. Uh, so yeah, there's really big, uh, area for peptides. I mean, the one that people know the most now is the semaglutide and terzaglutide for the weight loss and the GLP one. Um, but yeah, peptides I've been exploring the last few years, uh, and they've definitely, uh, been very useful. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. They're super cool. I, I hope we can get some, uh, easier access to them here in, uh, North of your border one of these days, but yeah, there's one, uh, can Canna labs, uh, they had some really good peptides, but I know they were going through it with, uh, Canada. So I'm not sure uh, if they're still up and running, but they were a good one. Yeah, I know there were, I think, a couple of labs that were making them. I did a extensive uh, training course like a um, uh, couple of years ago, actually, right before COVID hit. And uh, I was like, oh, this is amazing. And then at the end of the course, like, by the way, like, if you get, you know, caught using these with your patients, you'll lose your license immediately. I was like, oh, okay, well, I won't be doing that then. But so you can kind of get them, but it was just really, uh, really, really sketchy. So uh, like in terms of the the consequences of being found out. So um, you have too many mouths okay. to feed at home, so can't uh, risk the license, but, um, pharmaceutical companies are powerful. Well, there is that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, <laughs> uh, anyways, it's a whole other podcast episode there, I suppose, but, yeah. um, well, thanks for sharing your experience with that. And for our listeners who are south of the border, uh, man, oh man, uh, lucky ducks and yeah, really strong tools there. So I'm uh, ha happy for you folks. Hopefully, uh, you know, over time is there, hopefully we see that our, our powers that we see that there's, you know, benefit and we'll, uh, We'll see them being more uh, easily accessed up here. Um, yeah, I know we're just oh, go ahead, sorry. Regulators and stuff too, really interesting. I don't know if you've seen those. I don't know if you can, guys can use those as more oral forms. Um, so they're not injections, so there might be. Um, I don't know if the same rules apply to that there. Um, and so that do you say bioregulators? Yeah, are you familiar with those? Uh, they're different than peptides. Uh, it's like a peptide, but it's um, it regulates the organ. So if whether you had hyper or hypothyroid and you took a bioregulator, it would just regulate it to normal. Mm. Uh, it, they have it for blood vessels, they have it for the heart, the brain. Uh, they've done really good uh, longevity research with the blood vessel, uh, uh, brain, and th uh, thymus gland. Mm -hmm. And they've been getting really good at longevity effects. We knew this from the Russian cosmonauts and military. They've, the Russians have been doing it for over 60 to 80 years. And so they have a lot of uh, research on it um, and there, there's no side effects or anything to these. We find them in, you can find them in a glandular, but they have very low levels of that um, peptide. So if you took like a liver glandular, it does have some uh, liver peptide in there, uh, but it's a very small dose compared to taking like a, a bioregulator. And the protocol for those is two pills a day for 30 days. And then maintenance is uh, two pills a day for 10 days a month. Hmm. Um, but those mostly come from uh, Russia. They'll sell them in the UK and they ship them over here. Uh, but those are oral pills. So they, they're typically easier for people to take rather than the injection. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, look, they can order those on their own. Certain ones I'll recommend to people uh, depending on what they have going on, but they really help with, uh, had some people with long COVID uh, having, you know, heart palpitations and trouble breathing. And I would do a lung bioregulator to help with uh, the lung function uh, in the heart to kind of strengthen the heart and blood vessels. Cool. Um, is there a particular company or like, how does one look into bioregulators? Uh, yeah, their profound health is one that has, that carries them. Um, they've been a little low lately. There's a few other companies off the, I can't remember their names off the top of my head. Um, but profound health is one that has a lot of the bioregulators there. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, that's a new one to me. So thanks for sharing. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs>
Um, I know we just have a, a few minutes left here, um, Dr. Bright. So maybe I'll just ask you one more question here, um, if you don't mind. Um, so uh, just right now, um, and, and you know, maybe this might take more than a few minutes. So you can give me a give me a short answer is okay. I don't want to keep you longer than uh, we have scheduled, but uh, where you're always keeping your ear to the ground for for new things and uh, doing all this extra training and whatnot all the time. Um, what are uh, some of the things that you're the most um, excited about uh, in? Um, you know, health or medicine or research right now? Like what's, uh, what do you kind of like, yeah, what's been uh, on your brain the last, uh, say, few months, like on the cutting edge of what you're excited about these days? Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it has been towards peptides. I've been doing a lot more uh, research into peptides and and things towards longevity and stuff as well. Uh, so I've been researching a lot of these different longevity compounds, everything from uh, different forms of NAD, NM, uh, NMR, NR, and NAD3. Um doing different things from spermidine. Uh, I just uh, ordered myself some rapamycin as well to try out. Um, so getting a little bit more into the longevity aspect of things now that I'm getting a little bit older. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been a little bit more on my radar lately. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of these really cool new uh, compounds and things that I've been seeing, um, C60, uh, a lot of these uh, different things, I guess, for longevity uh, helped with mTOR, senolytics. Um, so I've been doing some senescent stuff as well to kind of clear some of the senescent cells, the zombie cells out of the body, mm -hmm. um, boosting my NAD with NAD3. Because um, we found that NM uh, NMN doesn't really stay stable for more than a month. And so a lot of the products don't even have the NMN in it after a month. Mm -hmm. NAD3 is more of a crystalline structure that stays, uh, uh, it's a lot more stable for longer. Um, so I've been experimenting with that. Spermidine, helping with autophagy. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I've been ex kind of experimenting. I take so many different supplements myself to test everything before recommending it to everyone else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and with the peptides, I'll be doing epitalon, which helps with, uh, telomere lengthening, um, doing some of the different, uh, HGH synagogues, uh, tesamorelin, epimorelin, CJC. Uh, so yeah, just experimenting, I guess a lot more with the peptides and some of these newer things that are coming out to kind of keep up on things. Um, but yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff coming out in the next couple of years uh, that we we're already experimenting with. There's the, um, blanking on his name, the Japanese guy, Nermoto. Uh, he's getting these different cells to uh, rejuvenate and go back to their, you know, basically younger stem cell years. So they have it for your, where your skin can rejuvenate, your ligaments and tendons will rejuvenate. Wow. Uh, and they're doing these on mice models and stuff right now. So that'll be out in the next like two to five years. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of yeah, really cool stuff coming out soon. So I don't think we'll, um, we might stop aging in about 10 years. So that's, uh, something pretty cool to look forward to too. Yeah. Great. Well, be good timing. So that's, uh, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, uh, yeah, maybe we can, uh, have another chat down the road about, uh, what the latest and greatest is after you've been dabbling a bit more in that, but that's great that you're uh, staying on the cutting edge of things. Um, Dr. Bright, just before we, uh, wrap things up today, um, was there anything else that you wanted to share with listeners? Um, just in terms of any other advice, I, I do want to ask you about where the folks can find you online and whatnot, which I'll ask you in a second, but anything else you wanted to share with listeners before we uh, wrap things up today? Um, so there's a air show going on right now. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, uh, pretty much, yeah, we're kind of mixing, uh, some of the ancient wisdom with some of the more modern stuff here. Uh, there's, I see so many people that just haven't had answers from their doctors and, you know, keep looking, there's going to be people out there that can help you, uh, don't lose hope, uh, just cause they, they don't have an answer for you. doesn't mean that there's no answers, uh, go find someone that, that, uh, can help you and, and, you know, keep trying. 
Uh, everything's going to go back to the gut is probably the number one thing that I work with. Uh, no matter what it is, almost everything starts in the gut. Uh, so starting at the gut is definitely a, a good starting point. Uh, if you don't know what's going on, start healing the gut and check pathogens. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of people like me that can work virtually uh, from anywhere and help uh, people in Canada and Australia and the UK and even the Middle East uh, that I work with virtually. So uh, definitely there's uh, herbs that I can recommend that you can find in different, um, all these different countries. Uh, you might not be able to find, you know, the same supplements and stuff that I use here, but you can find olive leaf for uh, something like that, you know, no matter where you are usually. So uh, there's definitely things that you can do to, to help. And uh, yeah, please reach out. I'd love to help any way I can. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Dr. Bright. And uh, yeah, so where where can folks find you? I'll, I'll definitely uh, link to everything in the show notes um, or the description here in the uh, YouTube video. Um, but uh, I'll definitely post your Instagram because that's how I found you. But uh, aside from yeah, Instagram, yeah, where can Instagram folks find you? Uh, holistic uh, Dr. Bright, so holistic, D-R-B-R-I-G-H-T. Um, that's also my website, Holistic Dr. Bright. Uh, you can find me on there. Uh, you can schedule a virtual consult or come in um, if you're local here to Orange County. Uh, those are probably the best ways to find me. Okay, great. And then, as you said, you work with folks uh, all over the place. So if they, yeah, listeners want to get in touch with you, then they can they can just do that through your website um, primarily. Yep. Yeah, you can schedule a virtual consult on there. Um, it's usually about a thirty minute consult, and I'll review your labs. I can order labs if you're in the states uh, anywhere. Uh, not so much other countries. I can't order the labs. Um, but yeah, I can order labs for you. And then I type up uh, a protocol for everything that you need that pretty much lasts you the month. Uh, and then we check in usually like once, twice a month to, to keep up on everything. Uh, and yeah, it's been going really well. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, Dr. Bright, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks so much, everyone listening to this, uh, who listened to this uh, episode of the Overcoming Chronic Illness podcast. Uh, we hope that it was um, enjoyable and informative, and please stay tuned for the next one. All right. Thank you.